Welcome to the Cashflow Legends Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Brandon, and Brock. Remember, our insights are not direct financial advice, so consult with your financial team before making any decisions based on the topics discussed in this show. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Cashflow Legends. So we are piggybacking off of our last episode where we talked about navigating the maze of good debt and bad debt. And I already know because Brock told us before we started recording that he's about to get heat in his house again. He's been without heat for like two and a half weeks. So we'll just go ahead and lay it out there. Brock steps away. It's for a really good reason because uh, he's been, I'm going to say toughing it out, Brock, but the real truth is, is it hadn't been that bad, has it? No, it's it's not that been that bad. I just have to run upstairs every once in a while. Thaw out a little bit. Yeah. So if Brock steps away, you know it's for a good reason. We're excited to really dive into, you know, we talked a lot about what simply bad debt is. We talked about what good debt is, but let's really break down for most people, once they understand what bad debt is, how do I start navigating out of that in ways that allow you to breathe? Because the reality is, is that debt has a weight or a heaviness to it that most of us never intentionally get to understand or talk about. We live our whole life with it. So when you guys jump in and really just talk about somebody, maybe remind us on the simplicity of bad debt. Brock, remind us on that because you said that last episode. And then let's kind of just touch some real practical ways to evaluate getting out of debt. Yeah. Well, let me jump into all that. I might go on a tangent here in a second since I watch out I, now. Since I might not talk the rest of the day. Okay. Get it so, all out. <laughs> so, first, good debt is really long time repayment periods with low interest and it can be deductible. Bad debt is short repayment periods, high interest, and it is not deductible. Okay. Good debt, things like mortgages, bad debt, things like credit cards. Okay. So when it comes to stepping back and and now wanting to attack our debt, to eliminate our debt, we first need to get organized. What debts are out there? We need to know the interest rate. We need to know the uh, total loan amount. We need to know the length of the loan and we need to know the required monthly payments. Okay. Once we have these things, then we are able to create what we call that I learned from my mentor, uh, cash flow index. Okay. A cash flow index is telling us the efficiency or inefficiency of a loan. So if what we would do is we would take um, your principal balance and divide it by your monthly payment. A lot of times people just want to attack the highest interest uh, that they can, but we need to be efficient in how we're tackling this debt. So first we find our uh, cash flow index after we've organized everything. Okay. Cash flow index again is balance divided by monthly payment. And so if we have a uh, what we call a CFI score less than 50, this is an inefficient loan. Okay, this is where we need to focus first. Uh, these are the worst place from a cash flow perspective, and we need to pay these off quickly. Okay. All right, Brock, let's do that practically real quick. Just for example's sake, I got a $10,000 loan and I'm dividing it by a $500 monthly payment that gives me a 20. Okay, that means that we need to pay that off quickly. All right, I got a $10,000 loan and I'm only paying 250. That's a 40. Okay. So then that would be number two on our list. Yep. There you go. Okay, cool. So a lot of people, what they 
get into the rhythm of is, oh, well, I have this really high interest rate, so I want to pay that off first. What we need to be more aware of is the cash flow that's leaving our world, these outflows that are leaving our world, rather than the interest on the loan. Okay. So if we continue to move forward, let's say that our uh, CFI score is in between a 50 and a 100. That's kind of the caution zone. Okay. This isn't necessarily dangerous, but we need to handle it with prudence and caution. And um, most of the time, a good credit score uh, will be the most help here. Okay. This is where we're going to refinance, restructure, and maybe consolidate some of the debts that we have. And then lastly, this is more of the efficient loans. Uh, this is where our CFI score is over 100. Okay. This is where it, this is ideally structured from a standpoint of cash flow. Okay. We don't need to pay extra on these. We need to pay others first. And let me say it one more time because this is like the most important of it all is focus on the cash flow, not the interest. Okay. Let's touch on that because I think it's really important. I'm going to go back to where I began. Brock, if you would have said that to me or Nate, you would have said that to me 10 years ago when I was in the midst of, or 15, when we were in the midst of getting out of all of our debt, it would have flown right over my head. Like I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even, I wouldn't even seen it. So I think a lot of people out there are like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. so, touch on that. Yeah. So first let me preface by saying, um, if, if you work with us, we give you a whole spreadsheet of, hey, here's your loans. Here's how they look. Yep. Here's the cash flow index score. And then we number them off. Hey, here's what we need to hit first. Here's what we'll, and then number them out. So sure. from there, what we would do is, you know, let's say that you have a loan that is, these are totally hypothetical because, so these numbers are not going to be correct. Okay. So let's say that we have a loan that's at $2,000 and it's 20% interest. And let's say the monthly payment is $450. Okay. Or let me take that back. $2,000 amount of is your loan amount. Uh-huh. 3% is the interest and the payment is $450 a month. But then let's say that we have a hypothetical debt that's $8,000 and the interest rate is 20%, but the, somehow the monthly payment is only $200. Well, we would then jump in and say, hey, we want to pay this loan off first, which would be the first one because the payment is much higher. That's what I mean by cash flow is the cash flow that's leaving our world, the monthly required amount on that debt is the highest. So we want to get rid of that the fastest because if we can, now we get to walk into what we call the snowball effect, recapturing that money that was leaving our world and then sending to the next debt to then build a bigger snowball. When that's paid off, we can then move to the next debt. So that cash flow, another way to, to break it down would be it's, it's the ability to create momentum and it's kind of like additional oxygen. Mm-hmm. To, so we can breathe if we want to go back to that heaviness and that mm -hmm. suffocation feeling. Okay. All right. So, so we've got a good idea of what cash flow means now. That's really cool. We've got a good idea of what good debt is and bad debt, very simplistically, which here's the thing. I want to touch on this real quick. If it's hard 
if it's too complicated to understand those three things with the person that's trying to explain to you how to succeed, it's a good indicator that we need to think about who we're asking questions to, because that was on a very basic level. We could explain that to my five or six or seven year old, and they would be able to probably get that, you know, at a basic level of oxygen and simplicity because we want to be able to breathe and better. Division. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not the division part, but we can use the calculator yeah. for that. Yeah. But, but, but they, they understand the hierarchy of numbers. 100%. And, you know, I mean, and so it's, it's not near as complicated as, as people make it. One of the things that I was actually teaching someone this week who comes from the traditional working world, you know, his idea was I'm going to fill up my 401k and hopefully have some nest egg one day that's going to take care of me. And I just kind of challenged him in that thinking. And I said, instead of focusing on this big number that you may or may not ever get to, what if we started focusing on your monthly cash flow and building that up over time? Because cash flow is the power of wealth creation. Wealth is not a number. Wealth is freedom. And so when you think about if I can get to a place where I've got things moving in a in a more efficient manner and my um, my other sources of income outside of my my working income are offsetting my expenses, that gets me closer to my financial freedom number. And once my expenses are offset by other sources, I'm free. That's now cool. I can now I can just enjoy life, do do what I want to do. If I want to keep working where I'm working, I can continue to do that and just add on and build on to that. But if I want to go start a business, if I want to go into a new career, whatever that might be, now I have the freedom to do that. One of the things that I absolutely love about what we get to do. So it's Wednesday this week. I've had coffee or lunch with four people in the last day and a half. Okay. And the real powerful thing about that, Nate, as I'm sitting there visiting with them is yes, money is the conversation. It's a piece of it. It's a fabric of the whole thing. It's a thread, but it's not the focal point. It is just getting clarity on what they want to do and why. And then walking through some of these truths and everybody is always at the level of their best thinking to the point of that conversation. So we're always trying to do the best we can. And so as I was sitting there visiting with them, Nate, it became very clear uh, this week and we're reminded of this often. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in my time with the Lord this morning a little bit. Recognizing that we are made in the image of him. If you just sit with that for a second, it's mind boggling. So I get the pleasure of sharing my faith often just through conversations, not like beat, up, beat you over the head. You need to know Jesus, but just conversations. And they're like, hey, you know, they ask questions. So I asked a, a young man who is really taking hold of how he thinks about how he thinks now. And he said, I said, do you think that the Lord created you to be so busy you can't think straight? He's like, no, I don't. 
I said, so what do you think practically can be done to start changing that? And one of those was sitting there just having a conversation about all of these truths that we're talking about right now. Because once he knows those rules of the games or those truths, he can start deciding, how do I want to tackle this practically, you know, to where I can get to the point where I can have some time to be creative. So I heard this quote yesterday. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on it because I, I didn't hear it. I read it on Facebook. One of our members from ULC posted it. And it said, and this hit me like a ton of bricks because we're experiencing this a little bit. Brock, I know you're going to love this one. It said, Creativity is the privilege of the disciplined. Discipline equals freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a whole nother podcast. Maybe we'll ask our team to put that discipline equals freedom. But let's tie it into this simple conversation with bad debt or getting out of debt. If debt is ravishing our thoughts at such a high level that we can think about nothing else, that we're chasing our tail. And and let me be very clear. We're not talking at you. We're like, hey, we've I've been there. Okay. I know the feeling. It is like it'll suffocate you. If that's going on, do you really think that that is the life that you're supposed to live for the rest of your life? And I don't think anybody would say, yes, sign me up. Let me do that for the rest of my life. So let's talk about the world of advising. Let's do it. And I'm going to give Brock and his dad some kudos. Before we met them, Nate and I had a very um, friction-related feeling about financial advisors. Okay. There's always friction there because we just didn't know what we didn't know. And the reality is, is that if someone truly wants you to win, no matter what their title is, they're going to be willing to do that with whoever you feel good about so everybody can win. And if they don't want to do that, or if they negatively speak of someone else and you have a different opinion, then that's a good indicator of doing some evaluation on who is speaking into your life. So, Nate, talk about your thoughts on financial advisors and maybe just give a real truthful transition of how we started to where we are now. And then Brock, share some of your examples too on how you practically work with this uh, on both sides of it. So I would say right out of the gate, as we started learning about infinite banking, um, we were kind of ignorance on fire a little bit uh, at first. we just assumed that if people weren't doing infinite banking, then they were all wrong. Um, I mean, that, that's the reality. Like that was, that was where we were at in our head. And um, infinite banking is not the, the, the only thing that you do. It's, it's added on and it becomes a piece of what you do. And, and infinite banking all runs through whole life insurance. You know, that's how we design our plans. That's what we recommend to other people. And whole life insurance needs to be the heart of everything else that you're doing. And when I'm teaching, I've been teaching a lot this week. And as I'm walking people through this, I'm showing them how if we want to maximize benefits and guarantees on our dollars, maximizing benefits, which means capturing death benefit, um, 
capturing, you know, all the things that come along with having that death benefit, capturing the peace of mind that comes with that. Um, basically having a hedge against if everything goes wrong, now we've got this windfall from our family and they're taken care of and all this stuff. So all these things, all these benefits that come along with that, and then also capturing the contractual guarantees that come along with owning the policy. And then we can simultaneously feed those back out to, into other places, other things that you want to be a part of. Now you have the ability to create multiple rates of return on the same dollar. And that's where you become really powerful and really efficient with your money. Um, so in the beginning, we felt like, uh, you know, all, all financial advisors, uh, well, most financial advisors hated us and probably still do. <laughs> I mean, that's just a grand, that's the reality of it because, um, when you're not immediately pointing someone to the market and you're saying, Hey, let's, let's sidestep what you're doing right now to make sure that protect protection, savings and growth are satisfied in the proper, in the proper way. And we're doing it in the most efficient way. They haven't been trained in that. They've been trained in get somebody some death benefit for the most part. I'm not speaking for everybody, but for the most part, they've been trained, get somebody some death benefit and then take the rest of their money and put it in the market. All right, Brock. So I know you, you have both sides of this. I'm sure that you've experienced along the way. You probably have some advisors that you work some, you know, alongside and y'all share a client and y'all work well together. Talk about what you see in those relationships and then maybe talk about some clear indicators of when you know an advisor and a member of yours have recognized that they're that's not really a good fit and why. And this is not a mm -hmm. knock on financial advisors. This is just a conversation of like what you've seen in all yeah. directions. Yeah. So I enjoy talking about this. So when it comes to, I'm going to, I'm going to get both sides of the table here. Okay. There are the people who think that life insurance is the be all end all strategy and all of your income and everything should only go here. Mm-hmm. That is incorrect. That is not how it works. Nobody will thrive in life if they if that's all that they do. And I'm speaking to infinite bankers and the world financial groupers and the uh, Transamerica primary. Like if all that you do is put money in a life insurance and think that it'll be the end all be all, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Other side of the table. Most financial advisors are actually just money managers. And so they'll tell you and convince you that you need to put all of your money in the market, and then just get a little bit of death benefit. The problem with that is what you are setting yourself up for in the end game is when I get to retirement, I don't need my insurance. So I'm going to self-insure, which just actually means you don't own insurance. Like that's just the reality. When you do that, now you um, subject yourself to only two withdrawal methods when it comes to retirement, interest only or safe withdrawal method. And I don't know if you guys know the safe withdrawal method, but uh, it's hovering around 3%. So yeah. you're going to have to have a couple million dollars to uh, afford the lifestyle that you want to live. And somebody out there is going to say, oh, well, I'm not going to need much retirement or much income in retirement. Yeah. Um, no offense, but uh, if I'm 64 today, let's say it's Jan let's say it's December 31st and I'm 64. And this whole year I have spent 
250 grand, 200 grand living, doing all the things, which is not unnormal for a lot of people. Nope. On January 1st, when I turn 65 and I retire, there's no way that I'm going to go one year from spending 250 to only spending 50. Like that just does not happen. And Brock, it doesn't happen if I'm spending a hundred and I need to go to 50 and it doesn't happen mm-hmm. if I'm spending a million and I need to go to 500,000. And it doesn't go from a hundred to 75 either. That's right. Like, where are you, if you can't figure out how to cut 25 grand out of your budget today while you're making income, you're not going to figure it out when all your income is just coming from assets. Okay. Yep. So those are the two sides of the camp where I come into play is, and I'm very clear with people. I'm not an expert at money in the market. I don't care to be, I don't want to be like, Same. I go to these conferences. I get invited to these conferences and I like sleeping well at night. And I don't want to have to call people talking about portfolios all day long where I'm an expert, where I'm most known for is creating the strategies around how to create um, strategies, how to uh, build strategies in a way that gets you to your maximum financial potential. And the way that we do that is maximizing money supply and benefits at the same time. That might just mean that we implement whole life insurance while we put money in the market, while we put money in retirement accounts, while we put money in, I'm not gonna say college, funds, but uh, (laughs) while we put money in HSAs, while we put money in real estate, while we put money in businesses, because if we know that we can build a financial life where our cash flow vertical feeds our wealth building vertical, and we can have our wealth building vertical also feed itself, then now we've put ourselves in a position of one, having the most flexibility and options, one, Another one being in the most control that we can and having the most use of our dollars. And now we're in a position where we can take advantage of change rather than being pressured by change. All right. So Nate and I have a, I'd say a good, a good friend. We don't talk to him often that um, we're going to be connecting to soon. And um, I will say this because I don't mind if he sees it because I would talk to him about it in person. Uh, he said, hey, I really want to connect with you guys, but I'm just going to be real clear. Now, he'd already told us he wanted to go through our process to learn the new things we've learned. But he said, I want to be clear. I don't want any spills about whole life insurance. I've already talked to my financial advisor, and it's obvious it's not a needed part of my portfolio. So I've been really praying on my response because I respect this guy a lot. And so I just finally responded today and I basically said, Hey, no spills, but I will say this because I know you trust me and I trust you. If your financial advisor says whole life has no part in your financial strategy, then you need to have some serious conversations with him or us because I know him well enough to know that that will really make him think about how he thinks. Now I would not say that to somebody I just met. So, I think it really points to then being able to have genuine conversations with the people who are ready. And a lot of times what we get to do is walk somebody through, okay, if your advisor is telling you, if they want to know, once they know all the rules of the game, your advisor is telling you you don't need to have whole life and you can practically walk through how that's impacting protection, savings, and growth for your maximum potential. Now you're brought to the precipice or the forefront or you know, the, uh, 
the gap, if you will, of what you want to do next. And you get to decide. And that's really all we can all hope for is to go, this is what I believe is the truth or isn't the truth and what do I want to do with it? You know, the irony with advisors, in my opinion, is, you know, they focus so much on AUM and and that's why they don't recommend whole Nate, life. What does AUM mean? Most people don't know that. Assets under management. Sorry. Um, what is what is assets under management mean? <laughs> money in the market. <laughs> Um, it's got to be money in the market. That's how they get paid. So financial advisors get paid by having your money in the market and they get paid whether it goes up or it goes down. Um, now the, the reason, um, why they focus so much on AUM, as I said, assets under management is because that's how they get paid. The irony is if they would start to understand how whole life insurance could fit for their clients, they would probably have more AUM <laughs> over, over that, you know, that period of time, because now they've, now they've just taken a step back and they're playing defense, proper defense for their clients so that now they're set up for better offensive positions. Defense is protection. Offense is growth. What, what I would say here is, whether you're talking to an infinite banking person, a IUL advocate, a financial advisor, if they talk about you never want to do this or you should always do this, like you need to understand where they're coming from and why. Mm -hmm. When you look at the overall planning and you actually look at what's going on, when you put in the right type of tools that feed together, you can then become uh, more powerful in how you operate your own personal economy. And what you need to understand as the consumer is that there's four rules that all institutions play by. They want your money on a consistent, systematic basis, and they want to hold it for as long as possible, aka one of those being an easy example here. Put all your money in the 401k. We don't even have to look at it. It's easy. Just put it in there. And now you can't touch it until you're 59 and a half or you're going to get penalized on it. So consistent, systematic over a long period of time. And we're going to hold on to it for as long as possible. The same is true when it comes to a brokerage account, which is, hey, invest early, often, and always. Just keep putting money in it. You're in the long haul. Just keep, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And so one of the things, other things that you want to look at is, all right, now that we've built all this wealth and we get to the next phase, what are the other two rules? When it's time to get our money back, they want to give it to us back in the smallest increments as possible over the longest time period. Why? Because who gets to hold the money? The institutions, the, I'm not putting advisors down, the advisors, whoever is holding the money gets to hold on to that. Why? Because they understand velocity of money. They understand, hey, the longer I can hold on to this money, the more that I can do with it on my own. And so what they'll do to show you why that they're going to give you the smallest increments as possible over the longest period of time, buy term insurance and invest the rest. Because when you get to retirement, just cancel your term insurance. Now that you have no insurance, you can only take safe withdrawal method or an interest only method as distribution. So you can't 
necessarily touch your principal because you need to make sure it not only lasts as long as you do, but as long as those you leave behind, because now it's your lifestyle income and your legacy. Brock, I asked and made two guys yesterday that are beginning to think that they might be interested in learning uh, this side of what we do because they are running into things like this that you're alluding to both of you. And they're, they're getting brought to this forefront of like, something's not adding up. Like it's just, there's a missing piece. So they're asking really good questions. And so they were really trying to wrap their brain around protecting themselves with whole life insurance. They had very little context of anything, uh, all the other benefits of how it can work in your life and all that. And, and this is straight from Bob Castellone and, and, and leap in his book. He, you know, would you, I asked him, I said, what's your best, greatest asset right now that you own in your life? And they're like, well, my home, I've got a lot of equity in it. I'm like, sweet. I'm like, would you ever not have insurance on your home? And they're like, well, no, that'd be dumb. I said, okay, now I'm going to challenge you to really think about this. Is that home your greatest asset or are you for your family, for your business, for your kids, for your loved ones, for your charities? I just went through a list and they're like, well, when you put it that way, that really, I've never been asked that before. And I'm like, for those who really like to deep dive, I'll, I'll challenge them with another question. Now start thinking about why that is, why you've never thought that way. And now you can start understanding the rules of the game like you guys have just really brought to the forefront with great conversation. So it's less about product of like, well, back up. It's less about who you're working with. It's more about understanding the truths and the rules of the game and how each product works. And then you deciding, here's my playing board. This is what I want on it. This is what I don't want on it. But this is how I want them to flow together instead of be separate. So... Yeah, the order, the order in which we do things becomes extremely important. You know, for somebody, for for somebody that might be our age or younger, that's out there contributing to a fund that they know they're not going to touch for 20, 30, 40 years. You can afford whole life insurance. You just don't realize it yet. Because <laughs> you haven't, you haven't done, you haven't done the research, you haven't pressed into that. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking, I gotta have term insurance um, until I get ready to retire. Well, the thought process behind that is I'll have this big pool of money. I won't need insurance. So I'm self-insured. I don't have insurance. But in retirement, you're still either sporadically or systematically taking an income. So why not protect that for your entire life and not just a portion of your life? And the other thing is, and I may have said this before, but if you're setting yourself up in that way where you're buying term insurance, until you don't need term insurance anymore, according to Dave Ramsey, which side note, Dave Ramsey still has life insurance. He says it on his radio show before, um, but he's debt free. So anyways, that's another discussion. So you are setting yourself up for uncertainty in the time that you need the most certainty later in life. Yeah. If you ask those, one of the things about what we get to do is we get to humbly remember where we were and ask questions genuinely from our own experiences and try to connect it with their experience. And a lot of times when you have these questions, you can ask people, it's no different than me being with someone who's a parent that has kids that I hope my kids become successful like theirs. And I'm sitting with that parent and they're giving me insight. They're normally not telling me what to do. They're asking questions 
well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And then it's spurring me on to think about how I think. Because normally that's where, where the greatest growth, the greatest creativity comes from is sitting and spending time with ourselves and thinking about how we think. And I think we would all agree. And most people listening to this would agree. I heard it today. I was listening to a book and it, it brought this great point up. It said, we used to have times in our day naturally where we could just ponder riding on the bus to work, riding our bike to school, walking down the road to get to school, sitting up in the morning and having coffee. But when smartphones came along, it's like 85% of people within the first 15 minutes of getting up, grab their smartphone. So they immediately become a consumer and consumption is what clouds the brain to create and think about being the best version of yourself often. So it's just this awareness of going back to the debt, the good debt and bad debt, you know, being aware of the truths of them both, because that's a big swing and being sure that we understand that bad debt is also tied to business also. And the number of times we have a conversation with somebody, when you help them see all those things like cash flow index, order of operation with your money, the number of times that we all hear, man, I wish I'd have learned this sooner. It's, it's staggering, but, but we felt the same way. Brock, I don't know if you did because you, you were, you didn't I, have to I, go I through that. Yeah, I haven't dealt with this personally. Yeah, but I know Nate and I have, and which is what consumed us at the beginning of like, you. so you're telling me that I can take a dollar and instead of it doing one thing for me, like I've been busting my rear end to get it to do for X number of years to get out of debt, I can get it to do multiple things and my family be protected. You know, it's just, it opens you up to a whole new world of creating opportunity in your life. So if anybody out there is like, hey, some of that makes sense, some of it doesn't, I'd love to learn more. Remember, you can connect with us via email right now. We're getting closer and closer to having our landing page where you can get on our schedule there. Uh, but our email is cashflowlegends with a Z at gmail.com. Please hit those likes, subscribe, share it with somebody. If you have a friend that you're like, hey, you know, we talk about a lot of things and growth and opportunity, share this with them. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Guys, you got any parting thoughts before we uh, close up for the day? Everybody have a wonderful day.